the most important lesson I learned in my life is very simple. Change for the better is unstoppable. It may take time, it may take struggle, but it will come. And that relentless pursuit of betterment of people, it is worth doing because change is unstoppable. That was Kristalina Gergiova, who heads the International Monetary Fund. Her optimism should give hope to all of us because the IMF has enormous impact. It's been called the chief steward of the world's monetary system and the world's financial firefighter. Without its help during the COVID crisis, some countries' economies would have collapsed. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Born and raised in Bulgaria, Kristalina Gergiova has held some of the most important jobs in the world. Before taking the helm at the IMF as managing director, she was CEO of the World Bank. And earlier, she helped shape the agenda of the European Union while serving as a European commissioner. Listen and learn why Kristalina Gergiova is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I am just so thrilled to be here today with the Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Gergiova. She is a friend who I've had the great privilege to work with on occasion, and it is just simply wonderful to be able to introduce her to our listeners today. So let me begin, Kristalina, by saying that you have been in some of the most important positions, heading them up both regionally and in global organizations, the European Commission, the CEO of the World Bank. You've led humanitarian and environmental efforts on a global scale. And since October of 2019, uh, you've led the IMF, where you oversee some trillion dollars in loans, only the second woman to lead the IMF, succeeding Christine Lagarde. And I think it would be good at the outset if you could tell our audience what the IMF does. Let me first thank you very much for the uh, chance to engage with your audience and for the great work you do uh, to promote gender equality. Uh, The IMF is uh, an organization of 190 members, and uh, what it does is to provide support to countries when they are in trouble. In that sense, we are the world's first responder during financial and economic crisis. It is also the organization that keeps a hand on the pulse of the world economy and the most authoritative source of data and analysis of How well is the world economy doing? We have three big lines of work. First, surveillance. We survey individual countries and the world economy. Second, program support. We finance countries that need 
balance of payment injection of financial means. And third, we help countries build strong institutions so they can cope with the problems they face. Very uh, interesting fun fact. During the pandemic in 2020, we got our newest member, the small country of Andorra, joined. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because it is such a good indication how important it is for the world for us to be together in good and bad times. Well, I I think that's an excellent point. And I think your explanation is very well received. And I wondered, since you mentioned the pandemic, uh, there must be tremendous pressure on the IMF now because of the severe economic downturn. Of course, there is. Uh, We were established uh, uh, in the midst of the Second World War by wise leaders uh, who who decided that uh, to build peace and stability, there have to be institutions that are responsible for the vibrancy of the world economy. The IMF and the World Bank were created then. We have never had in our 76 years of history anything as profound as the crisis of last year and this. It is the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. And it is a crisis like no other, because for the first time, the whole world is impacted and we consciously put our economies in standstill. We stop producing, we stop consuming. That has translated, of course, in tremendous pain. Well, the pandemic is a, a source of pain, but also the economic consequences because so many people lost their jobs and their livelihoods as a result. And for us at the IMF, what it meant was to very rapidly scale up financial assistance. And I'm very proud to say we have never done so much so fast. We have provided provided financial lifelines to 83 countries, 83 of our members. And uh, uh, among them, uh, nearly 50 are low-income countries. Without the financing from the IMF, they virtually would have faced an economic collapse. People would have been dying just because of lack of money. That's such important work that the IMF does. And it's so crystal clear uh, in a moment like this why it matters so much. You know, you had talked about the severity of what you've been through, 83 countries already desperately needing support uh, at this moment. But we are barely into a year of the pandemic, and we know that there's still probably months and months and months, uh, and a lot of it going to be felt in the emerging world, of conditions that will continue to, to be exacerbated. Is that something that puts a great deal of additional pressure on you, just thinking about that? Oh, yes, definitely it does. Uh, uh, Let me first say that uh, uh, fortunately, we got last year a big reinforcement of our lending capacity and our concessional lending capacity. In other words, ability to help poor countries. Uh, We have, we can lend up to $1 trillion. So far, we have extended $280 billion 
of lending over 100 billion just this last uh, month. Uh, so we have capacity to lend and we are working very hard to further extend our concessional capacity, ability to help the poorest countries. What we see ahead in this year, uh, 2021, are three very big priorities. One, of course, to bring the health crisis to an end. And unfortunately, it is not happening so easily because the race between the virus and the vaccine uh, is heating up with more variations of the virus coming up. And it is a race that that is very uneven. The advanced economies have better capacity, stronger health systems, more money, more fiscal space, as we call it, to vaccinate their people. Uh, Low-income countries uh, are faced with a tremendous difficulty. And we are loud and clear in our message that vaccination has to happen everywhere for everyone. Uh, In fact, if we vaccinate poor countries quickly, the world economy as a whole will benefit because growth going up will also translate into better economic opportunities for the richer world. We calculated that we can get $5 trillion in the next two, three years just by accelerating vaccination and finishing it on time, and up to $9 trillion by 2025, more for the world to share. 60% would go to the uh, poorer countries. 40% of this benefit is for the, uh, for the richer world. So our message to, to advanced economies, to richer countries is, it is in your self-interest to help everybody uh, complete that uh, mass vaccination we are, uh, are going for. Uh, secondly, it is very important that policy support for vulnerable people and vulnerable parts of the economy continues. Why? Because we are not yet at full speed and we will not be at full speed for quite some time. So what is being discussed uh, in, uh, uh, for example, in the United States Should there be uh, an additional stimulus? The answer from the IMF is yes. We need to continue with that uh, support. Uh, And then look at how we can re-energize growth in a way that helps us to make the turn towards the new climate economy, to support growth that is low carbon and climate resilient, and to accelerate digitalization for everyone. Because one thing the fund is worried, I'm worried, is that this crisis is exacerbating inequalities. Uh, Who is hit the hardest? Low-skilled workers, women, young people. And so we want to see that being uh, an objective to, to arrest and reverse inequality. And last but not least, to do it also between rich and poor countries. What we see today is a very dangerous trend of divergence between the rich and the poor world. If we don't arrest it, not only this is devastating for people in poor countries, 
but it would undermine security and stability for everyone. So a lot to do in 2021. I'm optimistic that this crisis has awakened in across the world a sense of what priorities must be, that we ought to work for a world that is that is green and that is inclusive and equitable. Gosh, you made so many really important points in what you just said. And this message about we're all in this together. Uh, and if we get everyone vaccinated in the United States, that's not enough. Everybody's got to be vaccinated. Uh, and economic growth and the betterment of each and every one of us is hinged on it. So all the best to you and to the IMF and to all of us that we do our part uh, to really be part of this great cooperative effort that has to be undertaken. Thank you for raising all of those points and for injecting climate into this discussion as well, because we know uh, that is a crisis that we are still to confront in its enormity. Let me turn to something that I have personally witnessed uh, about you, and that's your strong commitment to gender parity. And I know and I watched as you took over the helm of the IMF, you have said under your leadership at the IMF that you would have a relentless focus on gender equality. Tell us why that's important to countries, why it's important to economies. It is uh, uh, crucially important for a very simple reason. We all benefit when when women are included. Uh, In my uh, former job uh, at the World Bank, we asked the question, how much more we would get as a world, as wealth, if we wake up tomorrow with gender equality everywhere? And the answer is staggering. Over a lifetime of people, we would get $172 trillion more for the whole world. Only if we manage to bring gender parity everywhere. At the fund, our job is to help economies thrive. Well, they won't unless they overcome the obstacles for women to participate in the labor market, to have uh, ownership of assets, to be included in the finance, financial system, uh, and to be on each and every one of the parameters of, of uh, inclusion equal to men. And uh, I'm very proud to be the second woman. Uh, very grateful to Christine Lagarde. She broke the glass ceiling. So when I came, no cuts. I can just walk straight <laughs> in. It's all done. Uh, and I take it to heart that I will relentlessly pursue that objective. We are a strong institution, and we have to use this strength for good. Excellent. You know I endorse every word that you uttered wholeheartedly. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. You mentioned that glass ceiling. Here you are, 
the head of the International Monetary Fund. Christine Lagarde has gone on to become the president of the European Central Bank. And if approved, Janet Yellen will become the United States Secretary of the Treasury. So what do you think this means to have three extraordinary women overseeing such vast sectors of the world's economy? And maybe you could add to your answer, what do you think women bring to the practice of the economy? Because we really rarely talk about women and economics in the same breath. What uh, I see is the world coming to its senses, recognizing that giving more authority and responsibility to women benefits everyone. Uh, I'm so excited uh, uh, that somebody so professional, so experienced, uh, and so dedicated to the uh, public good, uh, like uh, Janet Yellen is going to be uh, heading uh, uh, the Treasury Department in the United States. Uh, what is important to recognize is that not only tapping into the potential knowledge and skills of women is just doing a simple economics, you have a reservoir of talent and productivity that is underutilized. You bring it on board. This matters. What matters even more is that women bring different perspective. They have different ideas. They, are, they tend to be more inclusive. They tend to be more willing to find space for compromise. Uh, and those are skills that are so very critical in a fast-moving world because when change is happening so rapidly, you have to have agility and ability to find this space for, for compromise and inclusion, and therefore women uh, contribute uh, tremendously in that regard. From my own experience, uh, I also have seen uh, women being so tremendously responsive. Uh, so you give a, a compliment to a woman, how does she take it? The bar has gone up. I have to do even better. And that is so powerful in organizations and in, uh, in countries and, and companies to constantly strive to do better, which, which I'm, I'm confident women bring. Uh, I want to tell you my favorite, favorite saying uh, is of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, very appropriate for the crisis we are in. Uh, she said, women are like tea bags. We don't know how strong we are until you put us in hot water. And that is my last point. Women are, we are now in hot water and you see countries led by women, organizations led by women, they do well because boy, we are strong. No, that's a really good point. And I must tell you, it is one of my favorite sayings as well, because, you know, I worked with Hillary Clinton when she was first lady and uh, there was a lot of hot water that was <laughs> often created uh, that one had to somehow overcome when it's put in your path. But there's a, a lot of troubles today that have to obviously be overcome and dealt with. And uh, to have all of these wonderful, strong leaders like yourself is really gratifying. You've had a very fascinating family history. So let's talk about Kristalina just a little bit. Uh, your great-grandfather was a 19th century revolutionary. 
considered to be one of the founding fathers of Bulgaria. Uh, you grew up on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And, you know, I think the communists took over Bulgaria in, what was it, 1946 or somewhere around then. So you've had these deep experiences in the formative part of your life in many ways. So could you tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up and how that perhaps contributed to your being the extraordinary leader you are today? I was very fortunate uh, to grow up in a loving uh, family. Uh, my mother and my father uh, never treated my brother and me differently. So I grew up with the sense that you know, we are equal. Uh, and that was very helpful in my, in my life. But I also uh, have gone through a tremendous uh, a struggle. Uh, first, um, uh, hitting the wall of restricting my opinion to be spoken and um, uh, having these many, many uh, uh, occasions. Uh, I was a professor. I would teach. I would go home. And I know I cross a line uh, in the kind of in the communist ideology. And I would worry about it. And every so often I would actually slap slightly, you know, slapped on the, on, on the hand. Uh, but it gave me that strength that we ought to be uh, always uh, pursuing with integrity what we believe in. But the most important part of my life that prepared me to lead the IMF many, many years later was uh, my country went to, through a tremendous economic collapse uh, after the collapse of communism. Our economy uh, went belly up. Uh, we had hyperinflation and uh, my mother lost her life long savings virtually within two days. I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to queue to buy milk for my daughter. So I saw firsthand the damage of bad policies, but I also saw, and it was with the help of the IMF, how a country can turn a course for the better and bring the benefits of good policies. The most important lesson I learned in my life is very simple. Change for the better is unstoppable. It may take time, it may take struggle, but it will come. And that relentless pursuit of betterment of people, of communities and countries, the pursuit of a more prosperous and inclusive world, it is worth doing because change is unstoppable. Uh, and I see now in this crisis, and I, and I can tell you, I worry tremendously about reversals uh, on gender equality, a very, very serious threat. Women are hit disproportionately by COVID because many of them, many more than men are in the contact uh, dependent uh, sectors. They're losing their jobs in big numbers. Uh, many women in developing countries are in the informal economy, so help cannot easily reach out to these women because uh, when uh, a job cuts start, women are the first to go, and we see it in unemployment numbers because the crisis has also unleashed some of the uh, bad 
phenomena we have, like violence against uh, women. And it is hugely important that especially women like me in position of authority to be loud and clear that reversal ought to be stopped. And we have to pursue equality in all aspects. And gender equality, we weren't there to begin with. We cannot afford to sleep uh, uh, backwards. Look, on average, a woman in this world has only three-quarters of the legal rights of a man. This is where we are. Going backwards means that we are going to make not only women short of reaching their full potential, but countries, communities, families poorer as a result. That ought to stop. Well, and how important your experience, your personal experiences, you know, as you were talking about going out to to get milk for your daughter in a time of severe economic downturn, to have had that personal experience and now be in the position that you're in, in, in managing the IMF. It's an extraordinary story. And I think it says a great deal about the empathy and understanding and compassion along with the great economic background uh, and perspective and experience you've had, these join together to make you be who you are and where you are at this place, at this moment in our history. So I I just have one minute left. Uh, I mean, maybe we heard it in your answer, but what makes you at this very difficult time the pragmatic optimist that you say that you are? What makes me uh, an optimist is that historic uh, trend we have all experienced. We go through tough times, but we are so resilient and so inventive that we can overcome these difficulties the history of my country, the history of my family. It is all history of setbacks and then perseverance, success coming out of it. And also the fact that I look around and I see so much alignment of people who recognize in this crisis that we do need to help each other, we need to support each other, and we can overcome. Just look at the uh, speed with which vaccines have uh, arrived. My, I want to finish on the source of my optimism, uh, and it is having seen multiple times in the worst of crises how the best of people comes through, how people are the first responders to shocks like hurricanes, fires, disasters of any kind. But here is the problem. Hate is very loud. Goodness is very quiet. And our job, all of us, the pragmatic optimists of this planet, is to amplify these voices of goodness. And make sure we all understand 
that this is the power we possess and we must deploy in all we do. Thank you so much. Those voices of goodness and the appeal to that, it is the message for now, for sure. So, Kristalina Gergiova, it is a pleasure to have had this conversation with you today. Uh, you've not only made us so much smarter, but you've inspired us. And I know I speak for many when I say that. So thank you so, so much. And all the best to you in the extraordinarily challenging job that you have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Talking with Kristalina Gergiova gives me such hope for the future. Here are three things I took away from that conversation. First, the world is starting to recognize the importance of bringing women into every level of leadership. Governments and institutions clearly benefit from women's perspective. And women's skill at affecting compromise and inclusion are critical at this moment in history. Second, women's economic equality is the key to global progress. And that means removing obstacles that keep women from participating as full equals in the labor market and financial systems. Achieving that goal could add $172 trillion to the world's economy. Finally, in order to move past the current crises, we all need to be pragmatic optimists. We need to look around and see the good that has been accomplished by people working together. And then we need to amplify and add to those acts of good. As Kristalina says, this is the power we all possess. Tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.